Today I'm going to wrap up this series that I've been doing primarily about our finances. Last week I started talking about overcoming the spirit of poverty. And I listened to that message and I thought, man, I, that wasn't quite as clear as I wanted it to be. <laughs> but anyway, that's the great thing about the local church is you get a do-over every week. So uh, what I did was I told you this story of Gideon. And Gideon did this amazing thing where he freed the nation of Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. The Midianites were a foreign nation that was coming and impoverishing the nation of Israel. And this went on, we find out, because the Israelites were worshiping Baal. And that is how you say that, in case you're wondering. But uh, anyway, they uh, were worshiping Baal, and we said that that is the spirit of control. And that when Gideon had an encounter with Jehovah Shalom, he met the God of peace, he quit being afraid, and he quit trying to control everything, and instead he tore down that altar, and then he went and destroyed the Midianites. And that teaches us basically this, that the spirit of poverty is empowered by the worship of control. Being overly controlling leads to poverty. Empowering and freedom and liberty lead to wealth. And this plays out in a macro sense we talked about last week in various nations. There are nations like the United States. Now, thank God for the 4th of July. How many of you had a good 4th? And so what's the 4th of July about? Well, remember the Declaration of Independence was signed. And, and the, the writers, they said that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's worth noting there that when they said the pursuit of happiness, they weren't really talking about, you know, the pursuit of a great stake or the pursuit of some hedonistic pleasure or whatever. They were talking actually from two sources. One is Aristotle and Greek philosophers. And Aristotle believed that, that uh, happiness was achieved as you became virtuous. So they're talking about uh, the pursuit of virtue, that as you live a good life, that's what actually makes you happy, not doing a bunch of selfish stuff to try to make yourself happy. Um, but then the other background of that is, is thousands of years of Christian theology, which teaches us that the, the point of life is to pursue happiness. But, but when they say that, it's, again, it's not some sort of temporal um, thing. It's actually talking about this theological concept called the beatific vision. And the beatific vision is uh, basically when you see God, when you see the beautiful God. That's the end goal that all our lives are pointed at. So when they said the pursuit of happiness, in one sense, they're saying the pursuit of God, the, pers the pursuit of seeing God and connecting with God. Well, if you, if you have a society and you build that around the idea that people are uh, equal, that God gives them liberty, that God gives them freedom, and that they're supposed to pursue God however they see fit, um, big picture, now there's, there's lots more things that play into this, obviously, and I'm painting with broad strokes, but that kind of a society is aligning with how God originally created man to be. God created man with freedom. The human soul longs to be free. 
That's what the Statue of Liberty says on there, right? Give me your tired, your poor, hungry masses longing to be, or yearning, I think is the actual word, yearning to be free. People want to be free, and when you have that, it leads to wealth. Conversely, if you have societies, and we used the example of North Korea uh, last week because they're in the news a lot, but they're basically a slave state. And I was reading this, this story about a guy that escaped from there, and and he talked about how he would spend three and four days at a time laying on a mat to avoid starvation. You couldn't move because there's no food. So you just, you just lay there in the hope that you don't starve to death. And, and why is that? Well, it's because all the power is centralized in the hands of very few people. And the people there are not, are not free. And that creates poverty. If you go down south of that line just a little bit, uh, the people in South Korea have a lot more freedoms to own property, to make choices, etc. And, and that nation is far more um, prosperous. All right. So obviously that's an oversimplification. There's more things that play into why nations succeed and so forth. But big picture, I believe that freedom leads to wealth and that control and enslavement leads to poverty. Can everybody say amen to that? Okay. What I want to do today is try to help uh, take those concepts and apply them to our lives personally. You might say, well, that's, that's great, Pastor. Thank God we live in America. And I say thank God to that as well. But how does that affect me personally? What, what do I need to do in order to break the spirit of poverty in my own life? Well, I think that there's, there's the thing, same thing we have to do, which is that we have to tear down the altar of Baal. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that, you, that, you know, don't go burn down some house or whatever. I mean, that, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? When, in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about tearing down strongholds, it's talking about getting rid of ungodly beliefs. Amen. We believe wrong things, and that leads to poverty. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. And if we can change those beliefs, we can begin to succeed. So... There are, I think, two sides to this, to this worship of Baal, these two controlling or these two things that we need to deal with. So I'll try to do both. I'll try to do them quickly. Lie number one. Here's the two parts, okay? And lie number one is I need to control everything. Yeah. And then lie number two, people and circumstances are controlling me. Okay, I'm going to deal with these in order. So the first, the first limiting belief that people have, and, uh, you know, there's degrees to this thing. I don't know that you're ever fully free from it. It's like you reach one level, and then you've got to push, push past that. Okay? And so there's, there's this belief that what will make me happy and successful is if I can control everyone and everything. And the spirit of poverty draws its power from that. It draws its power from the fear of lack. It's like this this perpetual thing that's speaking to me saying, you know what, you're never going to have enough money. Even if you've got enough now, you're not going to have enough tomorrow. And money will actually talk to you. It has a voice. And you pull out your wallet to give or something or help somebody, and money will, will talk to you, and money will say, you know what, you can't give me away because you may not have enough to eat tomorrow. Yeah. You don't know. Your car could break down. Something bad could happen to you. And money will try to 
to control you. And so we, we grab hold of it tightly. And Proverbs 11.24 says this, There is that which scatters and yet increases, but there is that which withholds more than is meat, and it tends to poverty. What's that mean? If I'm, if I'm holding really tightly to, to money, that impulse to do that is fear-based. And, and living a life controlled by fear, it leads me to poverty. That's what it's saying. My uh, friend Ashley Teredes, who'll be here in August, um, he tells this story. Uh, hopefully he won't tell it when he's here. He'll tell it better than me. He has an English accent. I'm gonna, I tell him, you know, when you have a British accent, you're automatically smarter and funnier than everybody else. But, <laughs> so when he tells it, it's funnier than me. But he bought this dog, and, and uh, he didn't know anything about dogs, and he, he was a little dog, you know. And... Uh, he went to feed it, and so he's got the food down there, and then he reached down to, to, adjust, to adjust the food bowl, and this little dog goes, Arr! and Ash is like, you know, and he's, he's like, oh, goodness. And he's like, what is the deal with this? And so he went and he talked to his, his friend that knows more about dogs, and the guy's like, look, that dog, you, you've either got to lead the dog, or the dog's going to lead you. Yeah. You either got to control the dog, or the dog is going to control you. And so what he did was he, he went home and he got put the food bowl there. And, and, then, and then when the dog was eating, he grabs the dog, rolls it over and goes, ha! <laughs> like, I'm not going to be scared by my dog. I'm going to scare my dog. You know, I'm not going to be scared of my dog. My dog's going to be scared of me. It's this little bitty dog. <laughs> okay. And after that, he got the dog basically to submit to him. Does that make sense? Okay, your money is like that dog. Yes. And so when you're trying to give away your money or you're trying to invest your money or whatever, your money may go, ha! Uh -huh. <laughs> and what you've got to learn to do is say, bah! <laughs> How do you do that? You say, money, you are not going to talk to me. That's right. I'm going to give you away. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> Who's in charge now? That's right. I'm going to change the analogy a little bit. Sometimes when, when, you know, there's the offering, sometimes people will be like the dog. And they'll go, quit trying to take my money. <laughs> I'm just being real, Okay. Now, I understand that, that sometimes that's happened. And there's, you know, somebody was telling me this testimony. They were in a church and they were trying to raise money or whatever, and they locked the doors and they wouldn't let them out until everybody gave. <laughs> I read about that in, in a, a, God, what's the famous book? To Kill a Mockingbird. They do that. Well, I thought that was all fictionalized, but this lady had it happen. All right, so if that, if that goes on, I get it. That, that, I can understand why you would have a negative reaction to the offering after that, okay? But, but here's the deal, right, is, is Ashley, when he was trying to feed his dog, uh, do you understand that Ashley doesn't want the dog food? Right. It doesn't taste good. He's not trying to get t to take away the dog food. He's trying to put more in there. God doesn't want your money. Hello. 
God, God doesn't need you. You know, he says this. They, they make all these sacrifices, right? And God's like, guys, the sacrifices are great, but, but that's not where it's at. Because, because is he going to eat the, I mean, he's not going to eat the goat, right? He's God. It's not about that. It's, it's if you let God in there, he can bless you more. He's not trying to get money from you. I mean, you know, he wants you to give the money away, but it's so you can, you can receive it back. All right? So one of the best ways to break the, the power of this, this fear over our lives is to just give in a big way. And you know what? I mean, I think you learn to do this at different levels. You know, when you first start giving, it might be a big deal to give, to give $50 or to give 1% of your income or whatever. But after a while, that becomes comfortable. And then money will, you know, and then if something comes up and it's like, oh, there's an opportunity to give more, or give beyond that, then you've got to think, wow, do I want to do that? You know, you get a big raise. Am I going to tithe this whole raise? You know, money will start to talk to you again. What is it? The dog's getting bigger. So every time the dog gets bigger, you've got you to make sure you're still the boss. But if you'll lead the dog, the dog will get bigger. I don't know if I'm using this analogy too much. What I'm saying is, if you will control your money and you'll, you'll use it in godly ways, it will keep growing. Is that okay with everybody? Okay. So wanting to control everything, it also means this. It also means I can't ever delegate. And if I can't delegate, my wealth and my influence can only grow to a certain point. Growing really wealthy, and, and when I'm saying this, I'm not, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about relationships, spiritual things, etc. Uh, getting really wealthy in every area of my life, it requires me to find people who are good at things and then empower them to do them, which means training them and getting out of the way. And often in church and in other organizations, we, we're unable to pass on our inheritance because we're afraid of people doing better than us. What is that? It's the spirit of poverty. It's the live control. It's trying to, I gotta keep I gotta keep the people under me, beneath me, because I don't want to look bad if they do better than me. The other thing that happens with our kids, I don't think most of us think that way about our kids, because we want our kids to do better than us, but we do do this, which is we're so afraid of them failing, we don't ever give them an opportunity to succeed. Do you know that God actually introduced a bad choice into the Garden of Eden? said, God actually introduced a bad choice into the Garden of Eden. We spend most of our time trying to eliminate all the bad choices. Now, you've got to use wisdom, all right? Five-year-olds can't have certain choices. But life is about learning to manage perpetually increasing levels of freedom. That's what childhood's about. If you manage your freedom well in childhood, you should get more and more and more until you're an adult, and then you've got more freedom, and then you keep managing it well, and you do better. We'll, we'll read a parable about that at the end. Okay, so that one's pretty simple. I want to deal with belief number two longer. Limiting belief number two, live control. Here's the second lie. The second lie is that I don't have agency in my own life. Other people and circumstances are controlling me and preventing me from succeeding. Okay, 
Before I explain why that's not true, I want to say this, which is that really bad things happen in life. Really awful circumstances happen, sometimes that are beyond our control. How many of you can agree with that? Tragedy strikes, you know, there's, the stock market goes up and down. People are abused. People are victims of crime. Um, awful things happen, and, and we don't always have control over those things. And I want to say clearly uh, to you, if you've had really negative circumstances in your life, that, that those things are wrong. And it's bad, and it's important that we learn how to, to, to say to people, it's important, it's important we learn how to be comfortable enough with, with who we are to listen to people's awful story and say, you know, that, that's really terrible. That never should have happened. I'm really sorry. And mean it. If we don't do that and we jump too quickly to the next part, then, then something negative can happen in, in people's hearts. I... Uh, I've talked with a lot of people, and, and you know, if you're a Christian and you're a pastor, um, people will tell you about a lot of terrible things that have happened. And, and uh, everybody knows, right, that, that when something bad happens or somebody does something terrible to you, what are you supposed to do? What's Jesus say to do? Forgive them, right? We've got to forgive them. Well, I'm with you. We do. But here's the thing that I have seen as just a matter of practical reality. Sometimes people actually forgive too quickly. And sometimes ministers who are well-meaning push people towards forgiveness too quickly. How can you say that? Because there's a shortcut to forgiveness, and it looks like this. I have something terrible happen to me, and it speaks to me that I don't have value and that I'm not significant. If I buy that lie, I can actually forgive very quickly because I don't deserve to be treated well. What I said right there is really, is really profound. It, it scares me sometimes when, when people forgive very easily and I don't ever see any anger or, or uh, you know, a recognition that I've been wronged. Now, it is possible to get to a level of spirituality where you let a lot of stuff just roll off your back. I'm with you. If that's where you are, that's genuinely where you are, awesome. I'm with you. Just forgive and move on. But I talk to a lot of people that their forgiveness is, is rooted in their own lack of, of self-worth. And if I'm not worthy of being treated right, then, then there is no injustice. And what I've learned to do is say to people, look, there is injustice. What's happened to you is wrong. Or what's happened to you is bad. And it's healthy to learn to say that. Because the cross says that. What do you mean? I mean, 1 John 2, 2 says that Jesus is the propitiation, not for our sins, but also for, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the entire world. Which means this, Jesus died for all your sins and all of the sins that were committed against you. Everybody with me? 
So when Jesus is up on the cross, all of the wrong things that, were happen that have happened to you, they're somehow in his body. And he's suffering because of these things. In that is a divine admission that this stuff is wrong. This, this, I think, is one of the most profound reasons why I don't believe that everything that happens down here is the will of God. Because if it is, why does Jesus have to die to fix it? So he's, he's up there dying, and what he's saying effectively is this, that, that there is injustice on the planet. And he's dying to rectify it. If you've ever been hurt by somebody, what, what people often want, and what I wanted, is somebody to admit, just, just admit, that what you did was wrong. Yeah. Doesn't sound so hard, does it? Yeah. Just say, ah, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Now, if you can get that, it's awesome. Yeah. But do you always get it? No. In fact, a lot of times you don't. Yeah. Except that Jesus gave it to you. Yeah. On the cross. On the cross, he says, look, whatever happened to you, I don't care if you were hurt by former spouse, church, society, whatever. God's saying, that was wrong. I'm sorry. It was never part of my divine plan for your life. Amen. It's not part of the divine intent. You've got to do that part. You've got to see that part before you get to the next part. Why? Notice, notice this scripture. It's really powerful. Um, James 2, verse 13, at the end of it says this, Mercy rejoices against judgment. Or actually, in another translation, it says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. For mercy to really be mercy, for forgiveness to really be forgiveness, it has to triumph over something. What's it have to triumph over? My desire for justice and revenge. What's that mean? If I don't have, li listen to me, if I don't have any desire for justice, then I can't really walk in mercy and forgiveness. Because I'm not really whole. Because I'm not, I'm not acknowledging that some injustice was done to me. All right. So, I want to say to everybody, bad things happen to us. We've got to acknowledge this. There are things that are beyond our control, and, and it's, it's, you know, terrible. However, let her see. We have a choice about whether those things become our God. So there are some things in my life that I don't have control over whether or not they happen to me, but I do have control over whether or not I worship at them. What does that mean? It means, is my past dictating to me my future? Is that broken relationship that I was in telling me I can't get in a new one that's healthy? Is, you know, a lot of you, I admire you, you've told me, you know, just terrible stories about, about things that happened to you in church. And I, I just, I feel awful about that. And, uh, you know, but you're here. And what that's saying is, is that you're not, you're not letting what happened in your past dictate your, your present and your future. Yes, that's right. that's 
I don't, want, I don't want my pain to become my God, and sometimes I've got to tear down the altar of Baal, which means I've got to tear down the altar of my pain. How do I do that? Well, I've got to forgive. I've got to forgive, and I've got to, I've got to move on. Matthew 5.39, Jesus told us that we can turn the other cheek. What's that mean? Well, if somebody hurts you, and they slap you, you've got a, a mark over here, right? But I can turn the other cheek and I can live from the place of wholeness. I don't, I don't have to live out of my hurt. I can live out of, out of wholeness. Forgiving those who have hurt us does not deny the fact that injustice was done but it does deny that injustice further place of influence. So let's real quickly, let's, let's look at this in a, uh, in a parable that Jesus told. Matthew 25. This is really powerful if you see this. So Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30. This is a familiar parable. I'll read the whole thing here real quickly. The kingdom is like a man who was about to take a long journey, and he called his servants together and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave uh, five talents, and to another two, and to another one, uh, one, each according to his own ability. Then he departed and left the country. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and gained five more. And likewise, he that had received the two talents also gained two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And he that had received the five came and brought and said, Master, you've entrusted me with five talents, and see, I've gained five more. His master said unto him, Well done, you upright you're a good and faithful servant. You have been faithful and trustworthy with a little, and I'll put you in charge of much. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And when he who had two talents came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents, and I've gained two more. His master said the same thing. Well done. Enter the joy of the Lord. Now verse 24. He, he who had received the one said, Master, I knew you to be a harsh and a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not uh, straw, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Now here is what you own. But his master answered and said, You wicked and slothful servant, did, did you know that I reap where I have not sowed and gathered where I have not strawed? Then you should have invested your money with the bankers, and then I would have had my with interest when I came. Now notice verse 28 and 29. So take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has will be given, and, to he, uh, and he will be furnished richly. But to him who has not, even that which he does have will be taken away. And then they cast him out into outer darkness. Okay. This is an interesting parable. First of all, it says that there are different levels of money that are given to these various people. Uh, the money here, in my view, basically represents freedom. Because money, the more money you have, the more choices you have. How many of you understand that, right? 
So it used to be I could go to Wendy's or Wendy's. Now I can go to, you know, no, I mean, I'm joking. But, but <laughs> more money I have, I can, go to, I can go to a nicer restaurant, praise God, all right, get something healthy. But anyway, there are different levels of, of freedom that people have. Is this true? And sometimes it's, it's, you know, by virtue of being born in the United States, you're, you're kind of a ten-talent person. At least if you compare yourself to, to places in the third world. And so, you know, the question is, is this fair? And, you know, of course, it's, it's not really, and I don't think that that was part of the divine intent, but, but nevertheless, it's sort of how the world is because of sin and, and because of people's choices. So part of the reason, you know, you, you don't get to choose your parents, right? But I mean, if, if you grow up in poverty, it's because a lot of times because of choices your parents made. So you don't have control over that. And so it can be frustrating. And there's, there's some people with, with lots of freedom, and there's some people with okay freedom, and then there's this one guy that's got one talent of, of freedom. Buddy, with me so far? Okay, so what do the, what do the guys, the five and the, and the two person do? Well, what they do is they take the freedom that they have and they use it. They steward it well. And what happens? It increases. That's basically the primary principle of the kingdom. Anything I take good care of, anything I exert energy in and, and steward well, the thing will increase. Applies to money, applies to relationships, applies to my health, applies to everything. If I steward things well, it will increase. But here's an interesting thing. There's a third guy. And this third person, he looks at all the injustice around and he thinks, you know what, none of this is fair. And he gets mad at the master. Now you can put this in your own personal life. You might have a boss that's a jerk. And he doesn't give you as much freedom as he gives the other employees. You might have a pastor that's not as nice to you as you, as you would like. You might have a spouse who is sitting next to you. Now, you might have people in your life that it seems like they're not treating you fairly. Anybody with me? And it's like, well, they're... they're you know, showing favoritism to this person. And, and so it's, it's not fair. And so what this guy does is he takes his one talent and he buries it and he doesn't use it. And then when the master comes back, he says something really interesting, which is that I'm going to take, if you don't have anything, I'm going to take even that which you have. Now, now, that bothered me for a long time. I was like, I don't understand that. Jesus is kind of a mean, you know. And I thought, why is he giving it to the, to the guy with ten? I mean, because what about the guy with, with four or five or whatever? He ought to give it to him. But that's easily solved. It's, it's, uh, things come to people that are using stuff well, okay? But, but what about this deal where they take it away from the guy that... that didn't have anything. In fact, the, the verse says, if you don't have anything, then even what you have is going to be taken away. Well, that doesn't make any sense. How can you lose something if you don't have anything? But I didn't understand this and really until, until this week. God spoke to me about it. 
when you get this, it's really, really powerful. What Jesus is saying here, let me, let me ask you this question. The guy with one talent, did he have something? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. But here's the deal. He lived as though he didn't. He, he, he lived as though he had zero freedom. He may not have had as much as the guy with ten or five, but he did have some. And when you live as though you don't have any freedom, no agency, you can't make any choices, even that small measure of agency that you have, you'll lose it. And it says, it says that's the path to hell. Now, I don't, I don't think it's, it's talking about, you know, burning for eternity. It's saying that's what hell on earth looks like. Right. Hell on earth looks like when I, when I surrender all my decision making and I let other people and circumstances control me. Now, does that mean that bad things never happen to you? No, but it means I do have some measure of freedom. Yes. I can choose how I respond to those things. Right. Yes. I can. And how do we know this? Well, because Paul, Paul's the greatest example of this. He's, he's in the, the jail, and he writes the letter of Philippians. And the letter of Philippians is like the happiest letter Paul wrote. You know, he writes to the Corinthians and the Galatians. He seems like he, he needs to, you know chill out a little bit. He's pretty, he's pretty upset. But he writes to Philippians and he's just so happy and he's talking about how, you know, you know guys, I've been thinking about dying and going to heaven and I can't decide what I'm going to do, whether I'm going to stay here and help you, which would be better, or, or maybe I'll just go to be with Jesus because that sounds awesome to me. And then he says at the end of the letter, you know, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is just, if there's any virtue, if there's any peace, if there's anything positive happening, think about that stuff. And then he says, and the God of peace will guard your heart. You'll actually be happy. And he says that when he's in prison. And it's not like the prisons that we have now. Now, I mean, being in prison now is, I'm sure, still terrible. But, I mean, he, he didn't have rec time. He didn't have a TV. He didn't have, you know, he didn't, he, he was in a hole, basically. Right. It was awful. But here's the deal. Paul realized something. I don't have a lot of freedom but I do have this freedom. I can choose my attitude. Amen. Amen. And what happens? Paul chose his attitude, and whatever you steward well, it increases. So even though Paul was in prison, he was freer than a lot of people. Because he refused to buy into this lie that he didn't have any agency at all. He refused to be like the guy with one talent, that took what he had and buried it. So if I lie to myself and I say that I have no free freedom, I'll lose even that which I have. So how do we, how do we overcome poverty? <laughs> One of the best ways is just be thankful. Be happy. Choose to rejoice even when the bad stuff happens. Now, I just went through all that statement. Are there, is there real injustice? <laughs> Everybody nod at me. There is real injustice. Bad things happen to people. I'm not denying that, and I'm real sorry, and we want to work with you to, to, to correct those things and stuff. But uh, I don't want you to be enslaved to them. I've got to forgive. I've got to let stuff go. 
And if I'll do that, I don't have to have my past dictate my future to me. And, and being, in, being in bondage to unforgiveness, it is the path to poverty. Financial poverty, spiritual poverty, relational poverty, etc. Okay, let's all stand up. I think that came out better than last week. All right, well, thank you, Lord Jesus. If I could have my prayer team come down here, I want to do something... Um, kind of special this morning. You know, uh, Gideon, he, he uh, went and tore down the altar of Baal, but he did it at night because he was scared of, of uh, basically being killed by people that didn't, but the Baal worshipers. Okay, he wasn't in a community that celebrated what he was doing. <laughs> but this is a different kind of community. In this community, we want to celebrate when you do something like tear down these false beliefs. So I want, I want to give you an opportunity. Nobody has to feel pressure, but let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. If you want to make a public statement today that you want to tear down one of these two lies, that you want to stop trying to control everything in your life and, and hoard your money and stuff, or if you want to quit living in the bondage of your past, if you want to forgive somebody, if you want to move on from something and, and tear down the altar of your pain, if you want to do that, just while every head's bowed, just, just slip out of your seat, just come down here. Just come down here real quickly if you want to do that. Thank you, Jesus. We'll wait just a moment. Now, look, as people, well, we'll give people another minute. If anybody else wants to do that, you can come down right here real quickly. We'll wait another minute. If you'll say, I don't, I don't want to live in bondage to what somebody's done to me. Look, it's not that what they did is right. It's you don't want it to have any more control over you. Is there anybody else? All right. Here's, here's what I want to I do. I want you guys to be really brave. And I want you guys to turn around and face them. And then I want you guys to look up and be really honoring. And I want you to give them the biggest cheer and the biggest round of applause. You know how to do it. You can do better than that. Celebrate these people. Listen, we want to we be a community. You guys can look at me again. We want to be a community where, where if, you, if you admit, I need to change something, that we celebrate you. You guys are awesome. God, I really appreciate your courage. I'm going to pray for all of you. If you should have come down here but you didn't, you can still pray this prayer, and we're going to believe God together, okay? All right, let's hold your hands out. Holy Spirit, we just release. We release these people right now from the spirit of poverty from the bondage to things in their past from the bondage of hurt from the bondage of lies we just speak truth over them we bless them in Jesus name and Lord we just say you guys say this with me I forgive, I forgive. whoever it is say their name you can say it out loud I forgive them 
And I no longer live life from that place of hurt. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. You guys are awesome. You guys can sit down if you want. Give them another round of applause. Thank you, Jesus. All right. I've got personal prayer ministers down here. If you should have prayed with somebody and you want to, you can come down here in just a second. I'm going to pray for everybody. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the freedom that's in this place. We thank you for healing these people's hearts, for, for freeing them from whatever bondage that, that they were in. And we, just, we believe you for no more worship of control, no more Baal worship. And Lord, I believe you for great increase, great financial blessing uh, in this house, in these people's lives. And Lord, we just receive that. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.